Rodgers in trouble. Does he have a vintage moment in him? In the end zone, it is caught for the win. Pressure, pass is picked off, and who is it? Big B.J. Raji for the touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Pax What She Said podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Maggie Loney, as always, joined by Perry Goldstein, and we have quite a few things to get through, <laughs> quite a few things to talk about today. Um, we'll eventually have to do a live show because Perry shot me a peace sign and it broke me. Um, but she's here. We're always here together. Um, we thought because of last week's show doing the progression and regression game for the Packers, we would do a progression and regression game for the rest of the NFC North, looking at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and then one defensive back and one pass rusher for each of the NFC North teams. But before we get to that, there's a couple things we wanted to talk about briefly. First, um, pretty big news broke, you know, last uh, in these last couple days um, with Brink trucks full of money being backed up to Patrick Mahomes house. So Perry, what are your thoughts on the biggest, most gigantic contract signing in NFL history? It's jaw-dropping. I mean, that man with incentives can make half a billion dollars playing football over the next 10 years. That's so much money. Um, I think if there's a player out there who deserves a contract like that, it's definitely Patrick Mahomes. Um, Nothing about it surprised me except the length of it. Um, The idea of keeping someone in under one contract for 10 years is quite... I wouldn't say groundbreaking because there have been others, but fairly groundbreaking for like the modern NFL right now. It's not crazy that Pat Mahomes would stay in Kansas city for 10 years, but the idea that it's, it's just, it's clear that that's what he wants and that's what the team wants. Um, I think my initial reaction, which we sort of talked about um, when it happened was just like how happy and sort of emotional I am for him, for his family and for chiefs fans. Like as someone who's had, you know, our dude in green Bay for over a decade. Like I understand the connection and the importance that, that Mahomes holds for that city. And I'm happy that they get him, you know, he's going to be a lifer barring something crazy happening. And and that's really special. And it makes me a little emotional thinking that we're at the end of that, you know, with Rogers, who's, who's our guy. So um, I'm happy for him. I'm really glad the Packers aren't in the AFC. <laughs> like, really, really glad because they they could go on a tear. But I hope Chiefs fans um, appreciate him and enjoy him, even if he doesn't bring another ring to them for another 10 years. You really had to throw that in at the end? You really yeah, had did. to just... <laughs> I did. I really did. Sorry. No, no, I'm totally with you. I think that it... Uh, you know, we talked about this with Tom Grassi on his podcast. If you haven't checked that out yet, please make sure you do so. We love Tom, and we were very grateful to be on his show. Um, but, yeah, we talked about that with Tom, and just, you know, Brett Favre got to two, Bart Starr got to two, and Aaron Rodgers should have theoretically gone to at least two. But it's hard, and the Patriots set this unrealistic expectation that people now think is the norm when it's the exception to the rule. So, yes, you know, the Patrick Mahomes signing is – insane and it's groundbreaking and like you said they got their guy now for 10 years but they still have to make the rest of the pieces work so you know the Packers have had Aaron Rodgers and they've had that kind of talent at the quarterback position for decades but now are you able then to 
surround him with the kind of talent that he needs. So going into 2020, yes, you know, the chiefs retained, I think 20 out of 22 starters from the super bowl. So they're likely to go on another deep run. Like you said, in the AFC, good thing that they're over there. We don't have to worry about that for right now, but long-term, you know, kind of what do his numbers look like and the way that they're able to build around him long-term. So unless you have any other thoughts on Patrick Mahomes, I want to give you the floor here because Deshaun Jackson made some very offensive, I don't even want to say questionable, just blatantly disrespectful comments. And I feel like we need to touch on those before we get into the show. Yeah. I mean, I have so many thoughts about it and I think the, the biggest one for me is just how sad it makes me. Um, you know, we, I think as a society are becoming very, very acutely aware of like how the words we use impact other people and not just impact other people's feelings, but the way they act towards other people and how those actions, you know, lead to other consequences. And so while he has put out a statement that he's sorry, while the Eagles have acknowledged that they don't condone those words, um, it's the fact that they were said in the first place that just makes me really sad. Um, and as a Jew who has dealt, unfortunately, with anti-Semitism in my life, it's unfortunately not surprising. Um, but to quote, or it was a fake Hitler quote, he didn't even say it, but to use that ever in any context is just so wrong. Um, it should never be said. And that should be obvious. Um, and I, as I was telling Maggie pre-show, I think Jeff Schwartz, you know, he, he did a Twitter live today about it. Um, and just his perspective as a Jew in the NFL, which we all know is a very rare thing. Um, most Jews do not grow up to be six foot three and 300 pound offensive linemen. It's just the truth. Um, and he said, you know, as a minority religious group, we're 2% of the population it's fair to say that a lot of people just don't understand us. They don't know what our religion is and what we stand for. Um, I think a lot of men in the NFL are quite religious, quite religious Christians. Um, and he talked a lot about that faith being very pervasive in a locker room for many reasons and that he has had to sort of stand up for, for our people in those instances and, and educate. Um, and I just, I agree so much with him on the education piece. And that doesn't just go for anti-Semitism. It goes for everything, everything that we're talking about right now, the Black Lives Matter movement, anything that has to do with anti-LGBTQ. It's just about educating people on the movement and what it means to be part of those communities and to make those people human. And so I just really hope that Deshaun Jackson actually learns from this. Um, I mean, my understanding is that the GM, his agent and the owner of the Eagles are all Jewish. Um, so I hope that those people in his life who he has a very personal connection with can have conversations with him that resonate with him. Um, but I would be remiss to not talk about it because, um, it's, it's, it's hard to hear. It's, it's hard to see and it's hard to hear. 
Yeah, and I think you touched on a lot of really important things here where if the NFL is taking a stand and they're saying, you know, that they support black lives, they support all of their players for exactly who these players are, then they have to make sure that they're supporting their Jewish players. And, you know, Michael Sam basically had a one and done preseason and the NFL is the first openly gay player to get drafted. So, you know, there's a lot of progress that we think the NFL is trying to make or can make, but then they have to act on that. Matt LaFleur said it in his presser that words matter, but actions speak louder. So kind of how the NFL handles this and what happens with Deshaun Jackson, like you said, whether he treats it as a learning opportunity and really understands the voices around him and makes steps to grow and understand, you know, I think this is kind of that defining season and that defining moment for the NFL. If, if the NFL and the brand and the league is really serious about change, these are all the ways that you promote positive change and knowledge uh, for NFL fans, for, you know, players, families, whoever is involved, you know, it's a, it's a really good opportunity for the NFL to kind of take up the mantle and say, we want to be more than just the words that we have. So we have to be leaders on and off the field in everything that we do. Yeah. And I think it's also just a matter of consistency because they've gone above and beyond. I think our expectations is it has related to the black lives Matter matter movement, but it almost rings hollow to me if they don't support every minority movement in the same way they support black lives. Um, and so I, like I said, I just, I hope it's taken seriously. I hope it's taken as a learning opportunity. Um, unfortunately there is still so much anti-Semitism out there. I could give you countless stories, um, large ones like swastikas being, uh, you know, spray painted on, the side of my synagogue that I grew up going to, to tiny microaggressions, like people telling me, oh, you're Jewish, but you don't have a big nose. So just, I guess to wrap this up, cause I know we got to talk about football, but <laughs> I, I just, I think just be mindful of your words because they can hurt people. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the bottom line here is, you know, this is a good opportunity for everybody to be more aware of who we are as people. And if we hear something that we don't agree with, you know, the saying that we've seen on a lot of signs lately is silence is violence. So you don't have to, you know, it's, it's not enough to just not say negative things or it's, it's not enough to, as Joe Thomas said, not be racist. You have to be anti-racist and, the way that we do that is by having difficult conversations and growing as a population of people and trying to understand where everybody is coming from. But let's talk about sports. <laughs> I, I don't know how to do this transition. I really don't. <laughs> it's okay. We can just go with it. <laughs> All right. We're going to talk about the NFC North now, and we're going to play our fun game that we borrowed from Pack a Day called Progression and Regression. So we've got the three teams, the NFC North. We're going to go through them in the order um, that they finished the season. So starting with the Vikings, um, 10 and six, you can give a broad guess at the end, I guess, but starting with Kirk cousins, 15 out of 15 games played um, for the Vikings. He missed one game with injury, uh, 444 attempts, 307 completions had a 69.1% Completion percentage, 
threw for 3,600 yards, 26 touchdowns, six interceptions, and had a 107.4 rating, which is pretty solid. So given those numbers, what do you think Kirk's season looks like in 2020? Those are much more solid numbers than I was expecting you to say. (laughs) I mean, I think... The, the one that stands out to me the most is the completion percentage because he was throwing to Diggs and Thielen, um, and now he has just Thielen and some rookies. So I think maybe that might go down with some growing pains with this new offense, but I mean, I think we know what Kirk is. Those numbers are actually so much higher. I'm sorry, I'm like blown <laughs> off a little bit by that. Um, I mean, I think... I hate to start off by saying like a plateau, but I just think Kirk is what he is. And I don't think he gets much better than that. But if there's a slight regression, so be it just from the idea that like the offense and his pieces have changed so much and his go-to guy is gone. Yeah. So this gets really interesting as we kind of move on, because after Kirk, we have Delvin Cook, who may or may not be starting this season. And then Adam Thielen, who only played 10 games because he was injured. And then they lost Stefan Diggs. Um, We had, you know, kind of decided that we were going to look at um, the best receiver on the team statistically, and then the best running back on the team statistically. Well, the Vikings lost theirs. And, you know, there's debates about who was better when both Diggs and Thielen were on the roster, but the fact remains that they now don't have digs and they have Justin Jefferson, who's a rookie trying to get acclimated in this offense in a largely virtual offseason program. So I do agree with you that I think it's likely his numbers, like this is probably what he is. I don't know if he has a ceiling that's much greater, um, but I don't think his floor is much worse either. I think that this is kind of just steady for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would expect him to play all 16 games, you know, some, so his numbers will likely go up a little bit in that aspect. But Delvin Cook now, 14 games he was able to play in in 2019. He had 1,135 yards and 13 touchdowns, averaging 4.5 yards per attempt. He added another 519 yards through the air with no additional touchdowns. So he had a total of 1,654 scrimmage yards. Uh, and that's in 14 games. So, wow. Uh, yeah, that's pretty impressive wow. stuff knowing that he wasn't able to play a full season. Yeah. I mean, I think he has every chance and possibility to surpass those numbers. He's, sorry to say, he's fantastic. Um, he really is such a great, versatile player, seeing as they use him in, in the receiving game as well. It's just a matter if he holds out. So if he plays all 16 games, those numbers could easily be the same this season. But if he holds out for a contract, which personally I think is the wrong decision, um, obviously, you know, however many games he misses, it's just going to mean his stat line is lower. So I know we didn't say that we were going to do this, but if you had to give a very quick yes or no guess, does Dalvin Cook get an extension from the Vikings or is he a free agent next season? I think he's a free agent. I do too. I feel yeah. the same way. I just don't see the Vikings doing it. And they're so cap strapped yeah. that like, I don't even think they could. And it's not a matter of if they want to keep him. I'm sure they want to keep him, but if he's asking for big money, there's no way he can, they can offer that and he will get it from somebody else. 
Yeah. So moving on then to Adam Thielen, who obviously now is wide receiver one on the roster. He was only able to play in 10 games, but he kind of had some injuries that just lingered for the entire season. So even when he was able to start games, he kind of couldn't finish them. And he just, he didn't look like himself for the entire season. So he had one rushing touchdown, which I think is interesting in 2019, but played in 10 games, had 418 receiving yards only, um, six touchdowns and a 62.5% catch percentage. So we know those numbers go up if he's healthy, but what do you think kind of is his ceiling then going into 2020 with Justin Jefferson coming in as wide receiver two? Yeah. I mean, he's about to be wide receiver one, right? So he realistically should be closer to a a thousand yard mark. Um, He's fully capable of having, you know, an eight touchdown season. Um, And I think, the Vikings should expect that of him because he is now the guy. Yeah, I agree. There's really, there's not a lot of detail to go into there. You know, Adam Thielen has plenty of potential to be a wide receiver one, especially in a Kirk Cousins led offense. And I don't mean really any disrespect by that, but he's just a consistent quarterback. So he doesn't need a guy like Julio Jones to be his receiver in order to move his offense. So I would also add with Thielen that, I think his career has been super impressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was an undrafted guy, and the fact that he's carved out this, even when he was wide, re- wide receiver two next to Diggs, like a super, super solid role within this offense, like he still has so much more to go. So just a little props to him because it's hard coming out undrafted. Yeah, so we'll talk about somebody who is not undrafted next. We'll switch to the defensive side of the ball, and we have uh, Daniil Hunter. So, you know, we had praised Cedarius Smith for all of the reasons in the world. Daniel Hunter has some pretty impressive stats as well for that Vikings D-line. So played in all 16 games, 14 and a half sacks, 70 total tackles, 22 quarterback hits, and 36 pressures. So what do you think about those numbers, and what does that mean for the Vikings defense in 2020? I mean, those are some Zadarius Smith numbers right there. Um, I mean, that that's, I mean, he's, I, th- I find him to be similar to Z in the respect that he's a little underrated um, and not talked about as much as he should be based off those numbers. But again, I think it's a similar situation with Z where you'd hope he's not on the field as often. You hope to save his body, um, but it would be hard to be a progression from that kind of season. Like that, I mean, a progression from that is, wild um so if that's that potentially could be his best he could plateau he still could be great and effective um where his stat line may be that quote healthy regression yeah and I think that his stats are you know helped out by the fact that that Vikings defense especially the front seven is really solid and they have Michael Pierce now, so they have a true nose tackle who can kind of eat up um, some of those uh, run blocks and that run stuffing role. So that could free him up potentially even more to get after the quarterback. Um, but like you said, depending on what his snap count looks like and what they're asking him to do going into next season, I do expect his numbers to be similar. And I, I do agree with you that he's definitely um, a name that more people need to kind of be aware of outside of just the NFC North. Uh, So going then to their top defensive back in 2019 was Anthony Harris, the safety, Uh, 14 out of 14 games. He was able to play um, six interceptions, one return for a touchdown, 11 passes defensed and 60 tackles. So 
What do you think about Anthony Harris? I know that he is now kind of in a transition period with his contract. Um, he got tagged, so not sure long-term what that looks like for him in the Vikings, but at least in 2020, what are your thoughts? You know, I'm not saying this because I hope it's true. I'm saying it because I think he will have a regression and mostly because I think if you're unhappy in your situation and you, he wants that long-term deal, he wants a long-term contract, he deserves it. They've tagged him instead. I don't, I mean, I'm not an NFL player, so maybe this is a wrong assumption, but I can imagine the motivation might not really be there. Um, So I think he's always going to be solid like he is. And that stat line is impressive, but I, I, I do predict a little bit of a regression there. Yeah, I'm with you. I think especially because that secondary has a lot of growing pains ahead of them in 2020, you know, the Vikings did draft um, talented corners to kind of fill in. They still have Harrison Smith, so they're not starting entirely from scratch. Um, But we did joke that the cover was pretty bare going into the draft. So Anthony Harris is going to be one of those veteran guys and you would expect him to make plays and kind of be the leader of that secondary. But kind of like you said, what that means long-term for him in a contract, knowing that they drafted some young players behind him, it kind of goes both ways. Um, so now let's shift gears to the 8-8 eight and eight Chicago Bears. This one gets a little tricky because we have two quarterbacks to talk about. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read their stat lines next to each other, and then you can hear how eerily similar they are. Okay. Because they're almost identical. <laughs> Mitch Trubisky started 15, played in 15 games, uh, had 516 attempts, 326 completions for a completion percentage of 63.2. He had 3,138 yards, 17 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and an 83 rating. Nick Foles played in four games for the Jaguars. The Jaguars went 0-4 in that stretch. He had a completion percentage of 65.8. He had three touchdowns, two interceptions, 736 yards, and an 84.6 rating. So if you extrapolate the Foles data for an entire season, if you say that those are his statistics, Mitch Trubisky had 17 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Nick Foles would have 12 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Um, They were one point off in quarterback rating and they were two points off in completion percentage. What are your thoughts? Whoever is the quarterback, Perry Goldstein. I'm laughing because the bears picked up that (laughs) ridiculous contract when they could have just gotten Cam Newton. And like, it's just so bears to me. Um, I mean, I, I am fully under the impression that Nick Foles will be the starter at some point this season. Um, I don't know when that's going to be. It could be by the time the Packers play them week 12. But, I mean, it's kind of comical hearing it hearing it kind of strung out like that. Is that, like, did, is Foles even an upgrade? Um, they keep, the past few years, they have kept reiterating, Trubisky's our guy, Trubisky's our guy. And yet here they are bringing in someone who's, like, just as average as him. So... Yeah, I mean, if you think about Nick Foles had a couple impressive seasons. He's always kind of had an injury history. He He, won a Super Bowl. Right. He once again became the exception and not the norm because a backup quarterback was able to take a talented roster all the way. 
and he put in the work and he had a really nice season to end the season, but Carson Wentz did a lot of that groundwork to get them the record they had to, you know. Yeah. And Doug Peterson is Matt Nagy is no Doug Peterson. So. Right. So Nick Foles also got beat out by Gardner Minshew in, you know, midway through the season. So, and it's, it's not a knock on Nick Foles, but when you talk about the players that were available, like Cam Newton, you know, they could have entered the Philip Rivers sweepstakes or God forbid the Tom Brady sweepstakes. And they, like you said, reiterated repeatedly that Mitch Trubisky was their guy. And, you know, not to pour salt into the wound. I don't think Bears fans listen to this podcast, but we saw what just happened with Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson is about to get a huge contract. And Mitchell Trubisky has the statistics to be a journeyman backup quarterback in the national football league. So it just is, it's really interesting. And our friend of the show, Melissa Jacobs had made a joke about, you know, how many quarterbacks will the bears have gone through when the Patrick Mahomes contract is up, but you do wonder, I mean, they could be in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes in this next draft class. So it's hard. I mean, it feels like there has to be a progression here, whoever it is, and they'll have weapons. They'll have David Montgomery, Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller's coming into his own, but will it be enough? See, I think overall the QB room is a regression next season because either way, competition at that level is never something you want. It the the lack of consistency and cohesion, like you should theoretically be building around your quarterback strengths and that's how your offense should run. And if you're not because you're choosing between two and two who are kind of different, like Mm -hmm. where's, where's the cohesion? Like, how are they going to run? Like what happens if halfway through the season, they're so used to calling plays that are for Mitch Trubisky and are obviously not working because Trubisky sucks and they bring (laughs) Nick Foles in and it still doesn't work because it's not tailored to his strengths. Like I just, yeah. I was trying to be an optimist, Perry, but here we are, just that dose of reality that the Bears still suck. suck. All right, let's talk about David Montgomery because his numbers look pretty good and going into, you know, another season, regardless of who is handing him the football, I think that he'll have some some really nice numbers. So he made eight starts for the team, had eight hundred and eighty-nine yards, six touchdowns, averaged three point seven yards per attempt. Uh, He added a touchdown and 185 yards uh, through the air, which gave him 1,074 yards from scrimmage. So pretty nice season that he put together, especially because the Bears have always kind of had backfield by committee. He didn't really get that starting role until the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I see that being who he is, maybe a little bit of a progression depending on who the quarterback is. You know, if they don't trust who's throwing the ball, then they're going to try to run the ball. And so that just gives David Montgomery like more opportunities. Yeah, and I think, you know, Tariq Cohen has a really interesting role carved out for himself, but David Montgomery will end up being the bell cow when all is said and done. I don't think he'll have, like, the Delvin Cook, Aaron Jones role, but I do think he'll be the guy that takes the majority of the snaps in the backfield, so a natural progression there makes sense for him. Um, Now somebody that will be thrown the ball in 2020, Allen Robinson, and he's kind of one of the forgotten men in the league, and I know... Packers fans have a lot of animosity towards Robinson because he chose the bears over coming to green Bay when green Bay needed a wide receiver. Um, But he puts up impressive numbers and 
He played in 15 games for the Bears. He had 98 receptions, 1,147 yards, and seven touchdowns with a catch percentage of 63.6. So not bad numbers for somebody that's being thrown the ball by Mr. Trubisky. Yeah. I mean, those numbers from a solid quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, um, (laughs) could be higher. He definitely has the ceiling is higher than that. And he has a ton of potential. Again, it's just a matter of who's throwing him the ball. I mean, yeah, Packers fans have a ton of animosity for him and I get it. I more feel bad for him. I'm like, why, why'd you do that to yourself? Like you literally could have come and played for with the, one of the greatest quarterbacks ever to play the game and, and you chose to stay with biscuit. Like, why would you do that? That's sad. I mean, as somebody who's close to the Illinois border, I promise Illinois is nothing special. So, but <laughs> All right. But going to the defensive side of the ball, let's talk about another person that the Packers did try to steal away from the Bears. It's Kyle Fuller. He had for the Bears in 2019, three interceptions, 12 passes defensed, 82 total tackles, and played all 16 games for the Bears. So decent numbers. Um, Thoughts on him? I I mean, I guess he's kind of CB1 for them. Yeah, he, I mean, he definitely is. Um, numbers could definitely be better. Like, as always, the Bears defense is 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 top of the league. Like, they, they're a solid group. Uh, if they had a better offense, they'd probably win more games. Like, they, they're, they're a force. Um, and so I, I fully see Kyle, Kyle Fuller, like, potentially having a progression, uh, staying where he is, that, that feels very solid for who he is. Yeah, those are pretty nice numbers. And looking at kind of the pieces he had around him, he had Eddie Jackson. Haha ha had a really nice season with the Bears before he went to Dallas. So they did have a pretty solid secondary. So to put up those numbers in kind of a crowded secondary is, is impressive. Um, but the, this is the player that I really wanted to talk about. So I'm glad that we finally got him here. Khalil Mack, 16 games, you know, figured the usual. Four passes defensed, five forced fumbles. Eight and Five a half forced fumbles. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yep. Eight and a half sacks. Forty-seven total tackles. Eight tackles for a loss. Fourteen quarterback hits and forty-five pressures. So, I don't know what I mean. To be honest, it's less than I was expecting. Yeah. I mean, I think that for the money he's being paid and for what they gave up for him, there should be a progression next season. That's pretty low he's he's always on these lists for like the best pass rushers in the nfl etc he's he wasn't last season he wasn't great um i don't know if that's maybe the way they were using him or that he was on the field too much i just don't know what the reason is but i would expect that the bears expect their those numbers to be higher yeah i mean i think that he was likely getting a lot of double teams because he was kind of the guy for that defense. Akeem Hicks was hurt. Um, They were missing Danny Trevathan. They had a lot of moving pieces in that front seven. Um, So I think he was kind of tasked with generating a lot of that overall pressure for the defense, but still it with a healthy bears front seven, his numbers should look a lot better in 2020. So not great for the Packers, but the Bears should expect more out of him, and I think that they'll definitely get that. I'm probably the most excited to talk about the Lions because there's a lot of moving pieces here. But, you know, they finished the season 3-12-1. and 
But I want to talk about Matt Stafford and basically what I'm going to do is push a soapbox over to you and let you step up on it because he played in eight games. Um, but that was the first time he hadn't played in all 16 games consecutively since the 2010 season when he only played in three games. So he's been Mr. Consistent, Mr. Reliable for his entire career. Um, he had 2,499 yards, 19 touchdowns, and five interceptions in those eight games. He had a completion percentage of 64.3, and he had a 106 quarterback rating. So, Perry, the floor is yours. <laughs> Matt Stafford's just so underrated. Like, that's he was on pace last season if he hadn't gotten hurt to have like a record breaking season for him, a personal record breaking season. And I, he says he's fully healthy. His back is fully healed. They have some new weapons for him. His old weapons are consistent guys. Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones Jr. I just, I think TJ Hawkinson could be a top tight end in the NFL. Like Matt Stafford's a great quarterback and he can throw the ball well. And so I fully expect him to bounce back from this back injury and have a real, again, another really solid season. Yeah, and I mean, Packers fans like to make fun of the Lions for having an empty trophy case and having an 0-16 season and all of those things. But yes, the Packers did win two games, but they stole two wins after having never led for the entire 2019 season. So to have a healthy Matt Stafford back and like you said, some new pieces, some developing pieces, there's a lot to like, you know, if Matt Patricia can be the head coach that this team needs the lines could be good, but we've said that for a long time and they've had pieces and, you know, Matt Stafford can only do so much for that offense. The um, offense isn't what concerns me by any means. Right. And we'll get to the defense, but like the offense has all the weapons. Like I said, Matt Stafford can throw that ball. So I think the offense has every opportunity to progress. Again, it does depend on Matt Patricia. I'm not the hugest fan of him as a head coach, but Stafford for sure should have a progression next season. He also just had a baby girl. So he's up to four four. daughters. Yep. Which is adorable, but you know, I'd also, I'd also like to shout out that um, if you didn't know him and Matt Ryan have like a really intense bromance (laughs) and their families go on vacations together. And it's honestly really cute. Cause they both have twins too, right? Doesn't Matt Ryan have twins? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. The more, you know, (laughs) um the next one was kind of hard for their running back because carry on johnson was injured for half the season he only played in eight games started seven the lions just drafted deandre swift um so looking at carry on johnson's numbers he had 403 rushing yards three touchdowns 3.6 average yard yards per carry one receiving touchdown um 520 total yards from scrimmage so you have to think that DeAndre Swift is going to be the new running back one in the backfield. Um, maybe Kerryon Johnson's numbers are kind of plateaued. Like that's what he is now as running back two. But what do you think about his numbers and his role and then how that compares to DeAndre Swift coming into the, into the league? I actually think that he will still remain running back one. And okay. I think they'll have a really nice rotation between the two of them. They're fairly different running backs. And I did – listen to an interview with carry on Johnson where they, the bears beat or the bears, the lions beat reporters <laughs> were asking him about how he felt about Deandre Swift coming in. And I loved his answer. It was a very like team friendly answer, but I think he's right in that they could have a really effective backfield between the two of them. And I think if 
again, it's a Matt Patricia thing where if he uses them in the right ways, they both could have really nice statistical seasons and complement each other very well. So I think there is um, a way for carry on Johnson to have a progression next season. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's kind of the way that the league is trending right now. Um, the Titans and Derrick Henry might kind of be an anomaly. They're not necessarily the norm here, but you know, Matt LaFleur at the combine said, we want to have three solid running backs. So they have Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon, and Jamal Williams. The bears have Tariq Cohen, David Montgomery. Um, so many teams, you look at the Patriots backfield, the 49ers backfield, there's a lot of backfield by committee now. And Running back is one of the toughest positions to play. It's just abusive on your body. You're getting hit literally every time you touch the ball. So it makes sense that that's kind of the way the league is going. So I, I do like the kind of approach you took that, yeah, I think that, you know, barring what happens with Matt Patricia and how he's able to, you know, utilize both of them, it could look really nice for that Lions backfield. And on Johnson had an impressive season when he was able to play a full 16 games. So definitely don't think that, you know, 520 yards from scrimmage is his full potential, but we'll see. I mean, it depends how much DeAndre Swift plays his rookie season. But going now to somebody who probably is maybe underrated in the NFC North, um, didn't Pro Football Focus just call him the best receiver in the NFC North? So Yeah, crazy. We don't- <laughs> I'm taking drugs, Pro Football Focus. <laughs> I wish you guys could see the face Perry just made. But Kenny Galladay, 16 out of 16 games. 65 receptions, 1,190 yards, 11 touchdowns, 56% catch percentage. So got to work on that a little bit, but otherwise his numbers look pretty solid. Yeah. I mean, he's a solid guy. I think some, I, I had this debate with my dad recently, actually, like, um, is Marvin Jones Jr. their wide receiver one or is Kenny Galladay their wide receiver one? And I personally think it's Marvin Jones Jr. because Stafford goes to him more. But Galladay did really well, sort of like the way Devontae Adams did when Hundley was in. Like, Galladay was really kind of Blau's solid guy. Um, And he put out some crazy numbers against the Packers. So I think he has a lot of potential. Um, I hope, I think catching the ball for Matt Stafford will make his numbers go up. But again, it just depends if Marvin Jones Jr. is the one getting those um, targets then it just takes away from him. Yeah, I agree with you. And they they kind of have one of those underrated receiving cores in the league. You know, you listed Marvin Jones Jr. They also have Danny Amendola. TJ Hawkinson should be a developmental player kind of coming into his own this season. So there is a lot to like there. Um, I think we'll see a progression out of Hawkinson for sure. So with the healthy Matt Stafford and with all the pieces that this team has added on offense – I think that there's going to be an overall progression for the team. I definitely don't think they'll have only three wins in 2020. But then shifting now to the defensive side of the ball, this is where things get kind of especially interesting because Darius Slay was the team's most productive cornerback, and then he left. So now he's with the Eagles, and they drafted Jeff Akuda third overall in the 2020 draft. So I'll give you Darius Slay's numbers, and then you can tell me if you think Jeff Akuda will have a better or worse rookie season. So Darius Slade played in 14 games for the Lions. He had two interceptions, 13 passes defensed, and 46 total tackles. So different body types uh, to Jeff Fakuda, but being, I mean, I think the consensus best corner, most NFL ready in the draft, where do you kind of see Jeff Fakuda fitting into this Lions defense? 
I think that he's going to do everything he can to step into that role and fill Darius Slay's shoes. I just don't know if it's fair to expect that from him his rookie season. Like, I mean, you and I, we covered the draft extensively, and I think we're both big fans of Jeff Okuda going into the draft. Like, he's a fantastic player. He's also a fantastic person, and I hope he succeeds. But rookie corners are notoriously very inconsistent. And it's it's much different going up against Devontae Adams than it is against a wide receiver in college. And he's going to be tasked with that. He is going to be cornerback one. And he's going to have to go up against some big league guys. And I just don't see him having the same production as Darius Slay. And that's not to say he's not going to be great, but like he's rookie and then that would be unfair. Yeah. I mean, I think the two interceptions are definitely possible. You know, we saw what Darnell Savage's rookie season looked like. We've seen corners come into the league and really impress. Jay Alexander, I'm sure would like better interception numbers, but he has played really well from his rookie season on. So we do know it's possible, especially if you're drafted third overall, the expectations are there that you are a plug and play starter from day one. But yeah, I mean, I think that two interceptions, this is probably a plateau as far as statistics are concerned. I don't necessarily see him lighting up the stat line, but I do think if he has a couple interceptions, just like Darnell Savage did, he has a really good shot at making like the the all, um, the associated press, you know, like all rookie team or something like that. Um, so the last person on our list is Trey Flowers, who is already familiar with Matt Patricia from their time together in New England. I think that was part of the reason that he came to the Lions as a free agent. He played in 15 games for the Lions. He had two forced fumbles and seven sacks, 51 total tackles, 21 quarterback hits, and 35 pressures. So knowing the kind of money that Trey Flowers is getting paid to play at a premier position, what do you think of those numbers and what are your expectations for him going into his second season with the Lions? I think it should be higher. Um, I think he is now like the guy, whereas in New England, that whole defense was great. So it it made sense why I think people's numbers were a little bit more even, if that makes sense. Whereas like in Detroit, he's expected to be that guy. So, um, I definitely agree given the money that he should progress this season and just adjusting and acclimating to, a defense that second year, the comfort level is there. You should expect the numbers to go up too. Yeah. So this was interesting because I think that he played really well opposite Devon Kennard and then Kennard went now to the Cardinals. So you talk about Trey flowers being the guy and he's definitely being paid like the guy, but now that he lost kind of his compliment as an edge rusher, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how they fill that, who fills into that role, what he looks like now, if he is the focal point of the defense and if everything is expected to come from his side, kind of what that does to his numbers and the rest of the defense as a whole. So, you know, the bears getting Robert Quinn was a sneaky, good free agent pickup. One of the better free agent pickups for the entire draft. I thought that the Vikings getting Michael Pierce was exceptional. I desperately wanted him. Everybody knows. We don't have to talk about it. But now for the Lions to lose their guy opposite Trey Flowers, it just it does make that dynamic interesting compared to kind of 
where he was in 2019. And now if there are greater expectations and his role does increase now, what that does to his 2020 production, because you would expect the numbers to go up, but if he's constantly being doubled and triple teamed, that might not be the case. Right. And it may just free up other, other rushers. All right. Well, those are all the players that I had. Are there any players that you would like to talk about briefly? Anything else you want to mention in the NFC North as a whole before we wrap up today's show? No, just that regardless of if we think these these players are going to have progressions, obviously the Packers are going to win the NFC North and it's not even going to be a competition. So like these guys could do great, sure, but we're going to go 6-0 again. So that's all. <laughs> Perry has not even been drinking that much, but she's just confident <laughs> and <laughs> I just miss my guys. I miss watching them on TV. That's all. <laughs> I I agree. So Perry, if the people want to follow you on social media, um, all your hot takes, where can they find you? <laughs> all my videos of how much I miss Tremont Williams. Um, you can follow me at Perry underscore Goldstein on Twitter. Please follow the podcast at PWSS podcast as well on Twitter. And uh, what about you, Maggie? Perry, did you know that you always forget to mention the Pack a Day podcast? <laughs> oh my God, I do. I really do. It's, it's, I need to get into the habit. I'm so sorry. I also podcast every three weeks with pack a day maggie also podcast with pack a day thank you andy herman so much for giving me this opportunity i promise my omission is just because i have a bad memory <laughs> yeah i mean i don't really know what to say i sure perry has a bad memory you can follow me on twitter at maggie j loney i write two articles a week for cheesehead tv and like Perry said, I also podcast with the Packaday podcast once a week with Jacob and Nick. That is all the time that we have for today's show. We appreciate you listening. Be nice to each other. Wear a mask. Do your due diligence as a human being to be respectful and learn about other people and try to make this world a little bit better. Please go Paco. Go Paco. And Jones out in front. They're trying to chase him down. He's inside the 